and welcome to From the Newsroom, the semi-weekly-ish podcast coming from the Holland Sentinel Newsroom. I'm Audra Gamble, the managing editor of the Sentinel, and today I'm joined by municipality and court reporter Carolyn Meiskens. Hello. Hey, how's it going, Carolyn? <laughs> um, so, Carolyn, today we're going to talk about a cold case murder that you and I have both been covering for, gosh, this is going on the third year of it, right? Yeah, this first resurfaced fall of 2019. Right. So, Yeah, um, so just, you know, a, a warning to our listeners, we are going to be talking in some degree of specificity about the details of this case, which didn't involve the murder of a 14-year-old girl. Uh, so, you know, just fair warning, if, if any of those details you think might upset you, you might want to skip to our, our next podcast episode in the queue. Uh, but for those who want to join us and are true crime junkies, like perhaps some of us on our staff, <laughs> um, this has been a case that, you know, I, I think is particularly interesting because of the age of the case and also the details surrounding the family in which it involves. So, Carolyn, you were in court yesterday in Allegan County for a preliminary hearing for Dennis Bowman, who has already been sentenced to life in prison in another state for a completely different murder. And we can get into that a little bit. But can you tell me a little bit of the background of of the case that we're talking about today in the Holland area? Yeah, so um, Dennis, Dennis Bowman lived in like the South Holland area, the Allegan County part of Holland, uh, with his wife, Brenda, and their 14-year-old daughter, Andrea, who was actually adopted, which is also a significant detail just in the, the aftermath of the case, um, because her, her biological mother has gotten involved. Um, and they also had a, I think at the time, a infant, a second infant daughter. Um, and this was in 1989. And Andrea, uh, Andrea, the 14-year-old girl, was reported missing on March 11 and um, basically was never heard from again, never contacted any family or friends, never her, her information was never used, her social security number was never used to open a bank account or get a job. Um, so basically, investigators have had reason to believe for a very long time that she was no longer alive. Right, um, right. And we have heard, you know, over the years, oh, she was kind of a, a troublesome teen. She, you know, argued with her, her family a lot. The, I guess, working theory you know, other than that she was deceased was that she had run away. Um, And that was the, the theory that the, the father Dennis Bowman had, had said publicly. He was the one who reported her missing. Right. Um, And, but that it was actually the birth mother um, who had, you know, decades later gone looking for this, child that she had put up for adoption as an infant she was the one who kind of like continued to bring attention to this case 
even three decades after Andrea had been missing. Right, because she didn't know that her birth child had been missing all of this time. You know, she was a very young woman when she when she had Andrea, whose birth name, I believe, was Alexis. Correct. Yeah. And tried to reach out much later in life to to find this this child she gave up for adoption and come to find out, oh, my goodness, she's on the missing persons list and has been for decades. Yeah, so she had also, I think, unearthed some things about Dennis Bowman and this, so the the birth mom has, I think, kind of long suspected and long put forward this theory that Dennis Bowman had actually killed her. Right. Um, But it wasn't until November 2019 when Dennis Bowman was arrested in a different cold case investigation. In a whole different state. (laughs) A different state. A a murder, a really kind of awful rape and murder of a 25-year-old woman in Norfolk, Virginia. Right. 1980. So this predated the the disappearance of Andrea. The Andrea, yeah, by almost 10 years. Um, And... He was arrested for that, and so in the course of that investigation, um, you know, detectives got to interview him, and what we learned yesterday, actually, in the hearing, is that it was actually Dennis Bowman who asked for the interview to tell detectives about Andrea. Oh, interesting. Okay. I I don't know if they had already interviewed him about it. Um, I'm sure that they did. They, they've interviewed him plenty of times, um, which they mentioned as well in the hearing, but he was just sitting in jail and he asked to talk to a detective about Andrea. And according to the de- detective's testimony, he basically said, um, I have nothing left to lose by, by telling you about sure. this. Uh, and he was, he was waiting to be extradited to Virginia to face his trial there for murder charges. Um, and he asked for a meeting with Brenda Bowman, his wife, and with detectives. Um, and so I think the most dramatic moment from yesterday's testimony was actually having Brenda Bowman take the stand and testify about what she uh, what she knew and what she experienced, and especially about like talking to her husband about this murder. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so to kind of just explain a little bit the timeline here, because I know we're talking about things that have happened decades ago. So this, this murder that happened in Virginia, sort of the way it works. And obviously this is not like the legit legal term, but it's sort of a first dibs situation where the, the Virginia court system went through their trial with Dennis Bowman first, because they first of all arrested him first and also that murder had taken place several years prior to the 1989 one we're talking about now. So that entire case, we've reported on, reported on it in the past, if anyone wants to, to read up on it on our website. But that case is um, closed. He uh, pleaded guilty, correct, Carolyn? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. And has been sentenced to life in prison. So 
at no point, no matter what happens with what's going on in Michigan court, Dennis Bowman will never be out of prison. Um, he's older now. I mean, you know, we're talking all, almost a, a full 32-year time delay <laughs> um, from the crime for the, the Allegan County case. But now that all of that stuff has worked through the system in Virginia, and also there have been some delays because of COVID-19, we're now at the formal start of the court process for Andrea's case. So yesterday was the preliminary hearing, which is basically the first time you hear testimony in a case, especially from detectives or or other witnesses. And it's a lot of the time for, for us as reporters, the first time we start hearing specific details or maybe some new information that we didn't know before other than just, you know, the basic, you know, who, what, when we, we kind of start getting into the why. Um, so I thought it was really fascinating to hear from, from Brenda, Andrea's adopted mother yesterday, especially talking about, you know, like you said, what Dennis said to her, in, in jail after realizing, well, you know, after all of these years, I've been caught for what's happened in Virginia kind of mentality. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this, all of these conversations when he's in jail happened about a year ago and he first told Brenda basically it's it's my fault that she's dead and um, described the situation as pushing her, slapping her, and she fell down the stairs. That, you know, that started with an argument between father and daughter or? Yeah, okay. yeah. So the way that we've heard, so everything that we've heard, I also just want to clarify, in the preliminary examination, we only hear the prosecution's case. Right. We so everything that you're hearing is obviously from one side of the case, and we haven't really heard from the defense team what they plan to, to present. You know, I, I always listen closely to their cross-examination questions because sometimes you get a bit of an idea, okay, this is where they're going to go with the defense. Um, and I really I didn't get a good sense of it from, from these questions this time, but, we, you know, we haven't heard from really the defense team at all in terms of what they are trying to do. Right. Um, yeah. So this is really just, you know, what the, the prosecution's case. Right. And yeah. For, everything for, that we are for, hearing from Dennis's mouth is not actually from him. It's retold from Brenda or from detectives. Right. So it's a little bit hearsay-ish. Right. <laughs> yeah. Not, yeah. Not. So just to kind of clarify you know, because I know a lot of people don't spend great lengths of time <laughs> in the courtroom. Um, the purpose of a of a prelim hearing or exam is just to determine whether there's enough evidence to send a case from district court where any case starts up to circuit court, which is where a trial would happen for a felony like open murder. So it's, yeah, like you said, very one-sided. This is not us hearing the entire case. This is not us hearing from every single witness that may be called, that sort of thing. It's it's sort of a limited scope, first steps sort of moment 
But like you said, hearing that that initial testimony and those those questions from the defense attorneys is a little bit of a inside peek into what we might might see should this go to trial. So yeah, it's like a trial preview. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, you know, we were aware from detectives in the past that a body was in fact found on the Bowman's property in Hamilton. And that was after that confession he was talking to his wife, Brenda, about. He said, you know, I know where she is, basically. And lo and behold, detectives then the next day, I believe, went to the Bowman's property, dug up part of their yard, and a body was, in fact, found. It was not originally immediately confirmed that it was Andrea because they the body had to be sent to Western Michigan University's uh, forensics unit, and they had to, you know, at that point, the body was in the ground for three decades. So it, it then had to be identified, which took a little while. And then after that, charges were filed. So can you talk, Carolyn, a little bit about some of those additional details of 30-some years ago that stuck out to you from that, I guess, retelling of, of the confession of Dennis by Brenda? Yeah, so we learned kind of the progression of what happened that day, according to Brenda. So... Um, Dennis Bowman dropped his wife off at work in the middle of the afternoon. She worked like a second shift, basically like 3 p.m. to 11. Um, and then he went to visit some family and Andrea was supposed to be at home doing her homework. And this was an issue for the family because apparently she was not doing well in school and not turning, not doing her homework um, and they had had trouble with that recently. So she was supposed to be staying at home, doing her homework. Um, and according to the confession that Dennis Bowman made, he came home from visiting family and she had broken into the upstairs of the house, which apparently they usually kept locked. So she wasn't allowed upstairs, which is where the parents' bedroom was, hmm, okay. and where they kept their money and all their documents, whatever. Um, she wasn't allowed up there. They kept it locked. And Dennis Bowman said he came home. She was up there. She had broken in. She had taken some of their money. And a duffel bag had packed a duffel bag to run away. And... In his first telling to his wife back 30 years ago, when this all had happened the day of, um, he told his wife he came home and she was, was gone and she had stolen the money. Um, and he had reported to the police. And, uh, but however, 30 years later in his confession, he says he comes home, she is getting ready to run away. And he tells her, no, you can't run away. Um, and she threatens to report that he's been molesting her, which in fact she's reported before. But um, I don't know that any consequences ever came of that report. Um, and that, that does kind of track also with what we now know in retrospect that 
Dennis Bowman had sexually assaulted the woman he killed in Virginia, uh, what, eight years prior. So that's that part of the story does kind of track with what we know of Bowman's prior actions in another state. Right, right. Um, and it could explain things like the fact that she's not, not, doing, not well doing well in school, well in school sure. um, and other things that we've heard about. So anyway, she, she threatens this and... Bowman says that he either pushed her or, or punched her or slapped her in some, he, he's had multiple interviews with detectives and he's kind of tweaked that story a little bit. So it's unclear what exactly happened. Um, but he physically gets into a fight with her and she falls down the stairs. And I think in his different confessions, he places a di- different degrees of like responsibility for whether he actually pushes her down the stairs or whether he just slaps her and uh, then she falls down the stairs. Sure. Okay. Um, that he may be trying to mitigate a little bit um, his own guilt right. situation. So it's a little unclear. And of course we don't know whether he's telling the truth at all. Right. Um, but then he says she broke her neck um, or she, he finds her at the bottom of the stairs and she's no longer breathing. And according to, to, he tells his wife that, um, he basically panicked and thought that, you know, who knows what, what he thought, but, uh, thought that no one would believe that he didn't kill her. And so he goes out, brings her body out to their barn burns her clothing and the duffel bag, I suppose, burns burns the duffel bag that she had packed. Um, and uh, uses this machete that he keeps under his bed to try to try to cut off her legs because he had found this container to basically dispose of her body in and she didn't she didn't fit. Um, when that didn't work, he took an axe instead. Um, and then here's another place where the confessions vary, where at first he told detectives he threw her out with the trash and he didn't know where her body was. He, she was out with the trash. Um, but then later in this phone call to Brenda in February last year, he finally admits, no, I, I buried her and this is where she's buried. Um, and actually, when this all happened, when, you know, when he killed her, they were living in Holland. Yeah, so this is part of the case that just doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> because, and, yeah, so they were living on, on what, Lincoln Avenue in Holland, right? They were living on M40. Okay. Like, uh, just south just south of Holland in Fillmore Township. Okay. And... Um, so apparently he buried her there, but they moved shortly after, I think about a year after, a year after this whole thing happened and he apparently dug her up and and moved her body because her body was found at their current residence, their Hamilton address. Yeah. Man, that's wild. (laughs) Well, and, and, you know, when I was reading your story yesterday, Carolyn, the quote from from that moment where, I mean, obviously I'm paraphrasing, but he said that 
as soon as they signed their names on the the property of of this home in Hamilton, as soon as that was done, he went and dug Andrea up and reburied her at the new home. Yeah, so I just just... pulled up that I pulled up that quote from Brenda. This is in Brenda's testimony, um, where she was describing when he told her where Andrea was. Um and here's the quote. And he goes, Andrea, she's buried in the backyard. And I said, no, no, she's not. We didn't even live here then. And he said, well, I moved her to the other house as soon as we signed the papers on the land. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so I have some questions. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have some questions to the surprise of no one. So so basically, you know, to make a, a whole day's worth of testimony in court very short, this will, in fact, go to circuit court for later court proceedings, correct? Okay. Yes. So not to be particularly gory for the sake of, you know, no reason, but when someone dies in a sudden violent way, particularly if they were to fall hard enough down the stairs to break their neck. That's not like a gentle thing. Um, I would assume that there would be some bleeding. And then when a body is dismembered, that also is a messy process. And I understand that this took place on a barn on the property. I do get that. And especially, you know, we're talking about a machete that isn't sharp enough and then switching to an axe. Like, all of this sounds messy. Did at any point in the hearing yesterday, Brenda Bowman have any inkling that something had gone wrong on their property when their daughter went missing? Or was she like, I had not a clue. I had no reason to suspect. Like, like, what's what sort of vibe did you get from her in terms of her her acknowledgement or involvement in this knowledge? Well, I can tell you what she specifically said, which she she testified that she did not know that Andrea was dead until. Her husband told her last year in those jail phone calls. Um, that's what she testified, and uh, but I, but I think we can question a little bit when the the prosecutor asked her a couple of questions about what they did the day that Andre went missing, um, and so so after Dennis Bowman calls the police and reports Andre missing, he goes to Brenda's work to tell her that Andrew's missing in the evening. And then um, Brenda comes home and apparently they don't, they don't look for her at all. Um, She said Hmm. they didn't look for her at all. They just, I guess, waited for the police to to do something. Um, And the prosecutor asked a little bit about, you know, what, what did you do to look for her? And she kind of vaguely mentioned, like, oh, I think we put up some signs. But, I mean, as a parent, (laughs) if your 14-year-old daughter – I mean, I'm not trying to, like, make this sound ridiculous, but 
as a parent, if your 14-year-old daughter is missing, you have no idea where she is, if she's safe, you know, whatever, the first thing you do would be to look all over your property, no? Yeah, see, that's the, that's the thing where you, where you start to question how much Brenda knew or guessed. Um, and because, yeah, you would think, you know, you would first just search your own property. Right, right. Uh, and then you would maybe you would call up all your friends and relatives. Yeah, get a search party going. Ones. Right. You would drive around the neighborhood because obviously this girl is 14. She's going somewhere on foot. She probably hasn't gotten that far in right. an hour or two. Right, you right. Know, she's only walked like a mile. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, and in a rural place like that, you know, there, there aren't that many places you can go. Um so, yeah, you do have to wonder, and like you said, with, with the blood, with um, Dennis Bowman's past, um, you do have to wonder how much Brenda knew or, or guessed and either just wasn't willing to, you know, psychologically admit to herself or what wanted to protect her husband. You know, we, we have no idea what she's thinking and what she knew. Um, but, yeah, I think... There's, there's reason to at least question just a little bit. Yeah, and I think that's pretty common for us to, to come from a preliminary hearing like this with some of our questions answered, getting some additional information on possible murder weapons or motives or that kind of thing, but also coming away with a whole bunch of new questions <laughs> that don't always get fully answered until a full-on trial in circuit court. So... I know that there's a little bit of um, steps in between now and then, but do you know yet, you know, what judge it's been assigned to, any sort of dates moving forward that we can look forward to? I don't know yet, so we'll have to stay tuned for that. Yeah, I mean, we also have to remember that trials happening during COVID-19 has been a whole journey <laughs> mm-hmm. um, for the, the court system, so that for sure is... Um, slowing this process down. Do you know off the top of your head how old Dennis Bowman is, Carolyn? I believe he's 71. Okay, okay. Yeah, and, you know, in the meantime, for sure, he is staying in custody. He's currently housed in, in Allegan County and will stay, you know, here in Michigan until the the trial and um, either, you know, a, a guilty or not guilty verdict comes through. So we'll still be tracking this case for a little while and make sure to, to stay tuned for updates from, from Carolyn and I. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for joining me today, Carolyn. Um, and you will hear from us next time on From the Newsroom. Thanks for joining us.